Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you today. Nice, mild December day out there. We are going to continue to practice the habit of silence and waiting in the Advent season with our memory verse this month, and we will look forward to saying it together as one congregation on Sunday, December 24th. But for now, let's take a moment of silence and reflect on the words of this month's memory verse. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we come back here every year at Advent because the words that are associated with the arrival of Jesus are words that are vital to a healthy and vibrant Christian community. And so last week we explored the concept of hope. This week we explored the concept of peace. Then love, or sorry, then joy, then love, and finally we'll reflect on our ultimate gift, which is Jesus. And each of these characteristics we want to have embodied and lived out within the church, within our Christian community. However, what we find is that they do not come naturally, right? We, de we depend on the Holy Spirit to form these fruits within us. And the one that we're talking about in particular this week, or reflecting on in particular this week, peace, this is particularly difficult in our world today. As we sit here as a Christian community, we look around the world and we recognize the absence of peace in many different places throughout the world. Just so happened today, while I was walking, I turned a corner, and there in the window, you know how some people have their TVs like right in the center of their house, so when you see in the window, there in the window, I just so happened to see this TV was on, and in bright, big, red letters across the screen, I had the kind of chuckle in my mind, three letters, war. Now, I just spent the last 40 minutes of my walk, reflecting on peace, thinking about the message today, praying, reflecting on what we were going to be talking about. And when I rounded the corner and looked through the window and saw the TV with those three words on it, I thought, Lord, <laughs> this is the world we live in today. Israel, Hamas, Ukraine, Russia, Yemen, so many other places around the world. Not just physical war and physical violence, even here in our own country, we look and there is hostility. There's division. There's political war. There's war within our government. It looks a lot different than physical war. But people are divided. Some of you have even shared with me about some of the heaviness that surround the holiday seasons now because maybe there's been brokenness and division within your family over the last five to seven years, over some of the things that have taken place in our culture and our world. Peace. Peace. Is peace available to us today? I would certainly say, yes, 
A resounding yes. And if peace is available to us today as a body of Christ, as believers, how is the follower of Jesus to realize peace while we are living in the rising tide of life's difficulties? Now, we've talked about war and political division and all those things, but there's other events in our lives that can cause us to not have peace. It could be a difficult medical diagnosis that we or a loved one have received. It could be a situation at work, perhaps today even here in our congregation or watching online. There are some of you that just antagonize over Mondays because work is so hard. The relationships there are so difficult, so uncomfortable. Perhaps some of us are struggling with a close relationship with a loved one in our life right now that's broken, maybe even on the rocks. Is peace available in those situations, in those circumstances? I would say, in church, I would pray that corporately we could say together, yes, yes, it is. This Advent season, we are reflecting on passages in Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 7. We started last week in verse 1, and we're continuing through the season through chapter 9, verse 7. So if you have your Bibles today, you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Today we begin in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 7. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see how King Ahaz missed out on the availability and the presence of peace. And we're going to hope to learn from his example so that we as believers, as followers of Christ, do not miss out on the peace that is available to us today. Before we read these verses, let's pray and ask God to guide our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. You tell us it is active, it is living, it is working. Your spirit can use it, take it, and apply to each one of us today exactly what we need in whatever situation or circumstance we face in our life. Lord, some of us today sit here and our peace has been disrupted. There are hard things going on in our lives. Grief, loss, relational difficulties, uncertainties. All of these things, Lord, threatening like a rising tide to disrupt our peace. And yet we know that because of Emmanuel, God with us, that peace is available. Your presence is here, even now, and goes with us as we leave this place. So Lord, I pray today as we reflect on the example of King Ahaz and we search your scriptures for how 
we can have peace in the rising tide of life's turmoil. That your spirit would instruct us and teach us. That we would leave here with assurance, hope, and a wholeness. Recognizing the peace that's available in your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 17. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as shale or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. He's coming. How is God to respond to a king who has determined to place his dependence on other people? A king like Ahaz who has determined in this situation to take matters into his own hands. We laid out the context last week. Remember, there were two kings that were coming for Judah. King Ahaz at the time of Judah was in control. He was the king on the throne. He was not listening. He was not pursuing peace as God had described and detailed it. He was not paying attention. Instead of faithfulness to God's ways, Ahaz was choosing to be faithful to his own instincts his own inhibitions, his own plan for a peaceable resolution in Judah. It was a plan that would actually have the opposite effect. Rather than bringing peace, Ahaz's plan was going to end in destructive consequences for the other nations and for his own. You see, 2 Kings uncovers the plan that Ahaz made. Ahaz sent messengers to King Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria saying, I am your servant and your what? Dependent. Oh. March up and rescue me from the power of the king of Syria and the king of Israel who have attacked me. Then Ahaz took silver and gold that were in the Lord's temple and in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as tribute to the king 
of Assyria. Of course, the king of Assyria responded favorably to his request. He attacked Damascus, captured it, deported the people to Kir, and executed its king. You see, Ahaz had determined to find his dependence in other foreign rulers. And it's, it's amazing. Verse 10 of our text reveals that God is so patient. He continues to speak with Ahaz, even though he knows Ahaz has already found dependence in someone else and planning to take matters into his own hands. God says, ask for a sign, even something miraculous. God's willing to provide a sign that would confirm the peace that he had promised to Judah, where King Ahaz to remain faithful. But again, Ahaz is not paying attention. In some of your translations, if you have the NET or other versions, it actually says, pay attention, with an exclamation mark. Ahaz is not prepared to hear from a God who speaks. Ahaz is unaware, or at least living as though he's unaware, that God is with him. Instead, Ahaz veils his intentions with an attempt to appear self-righteous, right? Isn't that what this is when Ahaz responds here? Oh, I would not ever put God to the test. No, certainly I could not test the Lord like that, Isaiah. God was saying, ask. Ask. As I read that text at the beginning of the week, one of the verses that came to mind was the the, the New Testament verse and the image of Jesus knocking at the door. Ask. Ask. And it shall be given unto you. Seek. And you shall find. Knock. Ahaz was doing none. Well, he was doing it. But not with God, right? Ask. Seek. Knock. But it was the king of Assyria that he was pursuing, not God. In his refusal to listen, he was leading his people toward ruin. And so like we saw last week, if you remember in verses 1 to 9 last week, there's a subtle shift where the prophet moves his focus from speaking directly to Ahaz to looking through Ahaz toward the entire Davidic family. And in verse 11, verse 11, he's speaking to Ahaz, but as we move through the text in verse 13, we see that again, he's speaking to the entire Davidic court. If Ahaz would not pay attention, perhaps somebody in the Davidic line would pay attention. And friends, there's a clue here for recognizing 
the presence and availability of peace in the rising tide of life's difficulties. For the follower of Jesus to realize peace in life's difficulties, we must be aware and pay attention to the ever-present availability of peace that comes from God. Ahaz was unaware. He's not paying attention. He's not living in light of God's presence or the hope of God's promise. He's not listening. He's giving the voices of his opponents, the voices of his allies, greater priority than the voice of God in his life. He fears. He fears the threat from the surrounding kings. He's hearing their voices. He's seeing the king of Assyria. He's hearing his voice. Where is the voice of God in Ahaz's life? And church, I might ask, are we at times, I certainly am at times, guilty of these same habits? Misprioritizing voices in our life. Failing to look, failing to listen, failing to pay attention or to be aware of how God is working all around in and through us right now. He is always working. Who gets the first words of our day? Who gets the last? Whose voices influence and give us direction? Whose voices are we pursuing? How are the voices that we're hearing, that we're giving priority to, causing us to feel, to think, to live, to act, both towards God and towards others? And friends, I might ask, are we even willing to do the hard and uncomfortable work of taking inventory of the voices in our lives. There are voices speaking in our lives. And sometimes to become aware of how they're influencing us can be very painful and very uncomfortable. I think it's important. Those voices that we hear influence our attitudes and our behaviors. And failing to take inventory might keep us from experiencing the peace that God has given us in His Son, Jesus. See, peace flows out of the lives of those who are faithful to abide in God's words and God's ways. And it's largely because Peace is a gift from God, one that the Spirit cultivates as disciples are faithful. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Church, can we sit here today and say that that's a fruit that honestly characterizes our lives? Can we be really honest with ourselves? When we live in a place where anxiety is rampant, Worry is running around unshackled. 
fear and doubt and insecurity is everywhere. We have work to do. The Spirit has work to do in our communities, in our own lives. I'm preaching to myself too in this area. Could it largely be because of the priority of some of the voices that we're listening to? Large part of our faithfulness and obedience as Jesus followers is in slowing down and taking time to listen and to grow in the awareness of what God is up to. But do we even have time to listen for God? Our lives are so regimented, so full, so busy. Do we have a moment in the chaos to hear from the still, small voice? Advent is a season of waiting, and we are bad at waiting. And my father would say, amen. (laughs) He had to deal with me. Now I have to deal with myself. And the children that run around my house. Little reflections of my own impatience. We get caught up in all kinds of stuff. There's this rigmarole. I don't know if you know that word. I don't know if it's Lancaster County word. Something. Maybe it's Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't know where it came from. You got... Our American government, our political landscape, we get sucked into these hopeless conversations surrounding the state of the American church, the moral and social and cultural landscape of our country. And with this, like Ahaz, we begin to think that we have to make alliances and allegiances with other people, that we have to take matters into our own hands. We get all caught up in how we have to respond, what we have to do, how we should take on this matter or that issue. And before we know it, just like Ahaz, we have failed to listen. We have failed to wait. We have failed to pay attention. We have failed to become aware of what God is already doing and to recognize and see the peace that we have, the peace that is promised and available through Christ Wherever we sit, just take our time, slow down, wait, sit, be patient, listen, hear that still small voice. He's speaking. Whatever plans we might concoct, maneuver, construct, they're they're going to fall when set against the plans of God. His plans are far better and far greater. And if we're hearing voices and listening to voices that are leading us into places of anxiety, places of worry, places of insecurity, places of fear, then those are probably the voices in our lives that need to get turned off. I'm not talking about cancel culture. You can turn them back on when they stop making you feel that way. 
all of this was going on, Ahaz is doing his own thing. He's testing the patience of God. He won't even ask God for a sign. He's hiding. So God's going to draw him out. Verse 14, for this reason, the Lord himself will give you a confirming sign. You won't ask for one Ahaz, I'm going to give you one. Look. Isn't that funny? He wasn't paying attention. So God says what? Look. First he says, pay attention. Then he says, look. This young woman is about to conceive and will give birth to a son. You young woman will name him Emmanuel. What a name. What a name. A name with great purpose. If God's people would fail to recognize the availability and promise of his presence, he would give them a child who would embody it. God with us. Now there's some different scholarship here. Some scholars see a near fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And when we get into chapter 8 next week, uh, you'll see this as well. In, in the birth of Isaiah's son, Maher Shalal Hashbaz, or even in Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. Other scholars say that there was no near fulfillment. The only fulfillment of the promise was in the birth of Jesus. I prefer a both-and approach. Seeing the near and initial fulfillments important to the historical demands and development of the text, while also maintaining that the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy is revealed in the birth of Jesus. See, Ahaz, there's no need, King Ahaz, for you to trust or to depend, put your dependence in Assyria. There's no need. God is going to give you a confirming sign. He is going to give you a child, a child of promise. Verses 15 to 17 are important to the prophecy. They're accurately describing the times both in Isaiah's historical context and in Jesus's historical context. Both Children of promise were born in conditions that were impoverished. This diet of sour milk. Anybody drink sour milk this morning? What happens when you do? Our milk doesn't last long enough to ever be sour. I don't have to worry about that anymore. But milk was sour, does this diet, sour milk, honey, it clues us into the poverty of the nation at the time of these births. And these foods, they made up the diets of those who were impoverished. Milk is soured or curdled to preserve it. Being raised in adversity, seeing his homeland oppressed under the rule of foreign and pagan kings, this is going to be part and parcel of what God would use to guide these children to reject the ways of death and choose instead the ways of life. Not only would God give a son to confirm his plans, but at the end of verse 16, he's also going to reaffirm his plan to end the reigns of Pekah and Razan, the kings of Syria and Israel. However, this promise in these first seven verses is followed by a sobering Warning, is it not? God knew what Ahaz was up to. 
He knew Ahaz lacked the faith to believe and respond in faith. And Ahaz's lack of faith was leading his people right in to the Assyrian trap. And if Ahaz wanted an alliance with the Assyrians, God would allow him to have it. And all the pain, and all the turmoil, and all the consequence that came with it. Friends, the alliances and the allegiances that we make in our self-guided pursuits of peace, they can often end up being like an anchor tied to our feet while we are desperately trying to keep our heads above water in the ocean of life's uncertainties. One biblical, biblical commentator put it this way. He said, quote, Whatever a man trusts in place of God will one day turn to devour him. End quote. Isn't that good? Verse 17, The Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's family a time unlike any since Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. A time was coming that would be harder and more oppressive on the people than any since the kingdom was united. And this was going to be the painful consequence of Ahaz's self-reliance. And friends, to realize peace in life's difficulties, followers of God must be tethered to Christ first. He is our first and strongest ally. There are many voices in the world today. They are everywhere innumerable. We could sit here today and we could number hundreds if not thousands of sources of voices. They come through our media, they come through our news, they come through the things that we consume on the radio and the TV and other places. But the voice that we need to be tethered to first and foremost is the voice of Jesus. The word. Ahaz was not tethered to the voice of God. Blinded by his pride and his ambition and a desire to appear self-righteous, he had not fully considered the crushing weight that alliance with and allegiance to Assyria would have on both him and his people. And isn't it curious to think about this, push this into the New Testament. Where do we see this in the New Testament? In Jesus' day, it was the religious leaders who were guilty of the same sort of relationship with the law. You see? Something that was inherently divine. And their alliance and their allegiance to the law, much like Ahaz is with Assyria, is going to end up having a crushing effect on the people that they are leading. Jesus was setting his people free from the yoke of the law. Rather than leading and guiding us in the ways of peace, our false alliances and allegiances sometimes lead us into judgment, condemnation, fear-stoking, piling on shame, creating doubt, 
And if the first part of chapter 7 was God's attempt to assure Ahaz of the availability of peace for his people, the second part of the chapter is going to reveal the sobering consequence of judgment were Ahaz to oppose God. Judgment. Don't we love that word? Everybody say, can you say that word with a smile? Judgment. Feels weird, right? We don't like that word. That is a hard word. There's a twinge of discomfort when we step into passages of the Bible that are dealing with judgment, and perhaps rightfully so, right? Perhaps this is a small part of what it means to live in the fear of the Lord, to try to understand and recognize the reality of this, to recognize that sin offends a holy God. And that a just and righteous God must deal with our sin in a just and righteous manner. And indeed he does. And he has in the person and work of Jesus. Not yet though for Ahaz here in Isaiah. Ahaz is representing the people that he governs. For both Ahaz and the people of Judah... There was and there is a better way than reliance on outside kings and rulers and authorities. The better way they had ignored, they had cast aside, they had rebelled against it. Repentance was needed. A turning away from the dependence on themselves and on others in favor of returning to a dependence on God. And friends, the Bible says when it talks about repentance and how God turns us, it actually says it's God's, can anybody fill in the blank there? It's God's what that leads us to repentance? God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God would not allow his people to stumble in the darkness of their own self-dependence and dependence on others forever. Sometimes it is God's discipline that is a demonstration of his kindness. To wake us up or to stir us out of our sins, to remind us of the better ways that are available. Good parents discipline their children in love. And as far back as I can remember, I don't ever remember a time when I was disciplined in love that was comfortable to me. The most, in fact, most of the times, my disciplines were very uncomfortable growing up. Because of God's great love for his people, he desired to be in a real and right relationship with them. One where they would learn to hope, learn to rely, learn to depend, learn to trust in him, and in doing so, their lives then would reflect his glory in the world. And this was not the current character of the people of Judah. Judgment here is needed as a tool. And God is going to actually describe it as a tool to guide the people back to a recognition 
of their need for God. So as we prepare to read these verses, we can break them down into four in-that-day statements, which can be further broken down into two statements, one regarding how God would bring judgment, the other describing the results of his judgment on both the people and the land. Let's look at verses 18 to 25 together in one reading. Here comes Assyria, friends, and when Assyria comes... This is what it's going to be like. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that... Uh, is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds for everyone who is left in the land, will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep trample and tread. In the discipline... And the judgment that was coming on Judah, God would not give up or surrender his sovereignty. He does not do that. Rather, it is in verse 18 where the Lord whistles and the enemies of Judah swarm them. Then it is in verse 20 where the Lord gives the king of Assyria a temporary work permit and hires him as a seasonal worker. We might further dissect the four statements. Verses 18 to 19, from the distant streams of Egypt comes swarms as flies. From the distant lands of Assyria come swarms as bees. And historically, Egypt dealt with problems related to an abundance of flies. Assyria was known for its abundance of bees and people who had the profession of beekeepers. Not only were Judah's enemies coming, but they were going to come and make themselves at home. In verse 20, the people of Judah were going to face disgrace and dishonor at the hands of the Assyrians. If you want to look further into this in your sermon notes, uh, there's a reference to 2 Samuel 10, 4 and 5. You can see what it meant to have your body shaved in this manner. The dishonor. In their defeat, the people would face a true humbling. In verses 21 and 22, personal resources are going to sour. There's an abundance of sour milk and honey. Everybody go home today and just try it. But God's sustaining the people who survive. He's providing for them but not exactly a healthy and well-balanced diet. Not what they had been used to. 
before. And then in verses 23 to 25, shared resources. The natural produce of the land was going to be overcome by thistles and thorns. Friends, the Assyrians, they were not going to treat God's promised land like the Israelites or the people of Judah did. To the Assyrians, this was just one more plot of land from another conquered people. It meant nothing more than that to them. So the thorns, the thistles, and all those things, the weeds, the land, would become largely uninhabitable. Good for nothing but grazing cattle and trampling sheep. And friends, for us again, there's a lesson for followers of Jesus today. We forfeit peace in favor of judgment when we fail to listen and respond by faith to the promises of God. It's those voices that sometimes get the best of us. Sometimes it's the critical spirits in our lives that can disrupt us, that can cut us deeply, that can wound us, that can cause us to wonder, to doubt, to walk through times of anxiety and worry. Peace is available. Christ lives in us. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Peace is available today. Every moment. Advent's a season where we wait and we reflect while preparing to celebrate the arrival of the Prince of Peace. Romans chapter 15 verse 33 describes him as the God of peace. In Luke 2, Acts 10, and Ephesians 16, his gospel is described as a gospel of peace. James chapter 3 says that the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. Colossians 3, the peace of Christ is to rule in our hearts, guiding us in unity and gratitude as a body of Christ. Philippians 4, 7, the same peace, the one that passes all understanding, is able to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, I want to encourage you today, wherever you're at, here, watching from home, that peace is available. Peace that passes all understanding. He lives within you. He dwells within you. And the peace that's available can help us, help believers navigate and wade through the depths of life's traumas and difficulties with hope. And with peace within us, 
because God is faithful and he is with us. That is the hope of this season, friends. Do we believe it? And if we say that we believe it, do our lives reflect it? Do our relationships reflect it? To the conversations that we have with other people, whether at the job, whether at our schools, whether in our homes, whether in the foyer here at church, do they, those conversations, do they reflect the great peace that we can live with as followers of Christ? Or are our conversations more characterized by hopelessness and doubt, hostility, turmoil? This year, 2023, one of the statements that I've had in my personal worship time in the morning that's been before me is to be a presence of peace. I feel like today, friends, that's harder and harder and harder. But all of us find ourselves entering into situations, some of us on a daily basis, where there's a lot of uncertainty, doubt, and fear. As a follower of Christ, as a believer of Jesus, how can we show up in those spaces and demonstrate a different way, a better way, a way of peace? Sometimes I get a phone call and I have to go to the ICU. And when I go to the ICU, when I'm on my way to the ICU, that's always one of the, the places in my vehicle on the way there where I feel most in turmoil. Because you never really know, either in the ER or the ICU, what you're going to step into, what you're going to walk into, the situation or the state that you're going to see the person in who you love and care for. And to be able to take that time and to pray and and to just say, Lord, help me show up in that space in a way that invites peace, your peace, into this space, into this place right now. Maybe it's a conversation you know you have to have with a loved one, a hard conversation, one that you, you've been putting off because you're afraid that it's going to lead to an argument or a fight or some kind of turmoil. How could you show up how could you arrive differently into that conversation and show a better way and be present with a posture of peace, one that points to Christ and his peace that's alive within you?